I'm Bree Thompson. I serve here as pastor of Youth and Young Adult Ministries. Last week, Pastor Hank spoke on rescue, and we saw the story of Peter. Peter was in prison, and a, an angel came and rescued him from there. In our account today, we are looking in Acts 16, and we have another prison scene, but this time the Holy Spirit works in a very different way. So let's jump right into the scripture. Today's scripture is Acts 16, verses 16 through 40. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn with me. It'll also be projected here. So again, it's Acts 16, verses 16 through 40. Once, we, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in on the attacks against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. <coughs> Excuse me. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke of the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they wanna get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Let us pray. 
Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for the example we see in Paul and Silas. Thank you that you call us to praise, and we thank you for the ways your Holy Spirit works in us and through us with our praise and guides us, Lord. We ask your blessings on your word today. May your Holy Spirit open our hearts to what it is you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. A little context of the story here. The Christians have recently had the victory of the Jerusalem Conference, and in that, that's when the believers came together and decided that the Gentiles did not have to be circumcised. They were arguing over that, so they, that was a victory to come to a decisive place there. Um, Paul also just had the sobering loss of Barnabas. Barnabas was a teammate in ministry. They had recently gone on a missionary journey together, and they had a strong disagreement as to whether John should join them on their next journey. And because of that disagreement, they parted ways. So you could say that after these big events, we see a very intentional Paul um, as he serves in his ministry. And we're going to see his intentional um, choices throughout today's story. So the story starts out with a slave girl following Paul and Silas, declaring who they are. The spirit possessing her can see the spiritual realms, so can see the light of Christ in them, and she's just declaring the truth that she sees. The scripture says that Paul gets annoyed. We can read deeper into that. Paul doesn't want a demonic spirit to have anything to do with his ministry. Doesn't want it connected, doesn't want it to have an impact on it. So Paul is fed up, and in the name of Jesus, he declares it out, and that spirit does leave her. So then, of course, the owners, the slave girl's owners are totally livid because now their source of wealth has been taken from them. They don't care about her well-being. Does that reflect anything? A, a woman's body who's no one cares about her well-being, right? We could go a long way there um, in a side note, but they're totally, totally upset. Their, their source of wealth is gone. So they come at Paul and Silas, and they accuse them of disrupting the way of Rome, which was true. Their accusation was correct. They were disrupting the Roman way. Then the crowds join in the attack here. They're ordered to be stripped and beaten, thrown into prison. The guard was instructed to guard them carefully, so they go in the innermost cell, and he fastens their feet in the stocks. So mind you, this whole process, so here at the very beginning of the story, we see Paul's discernment. He is a Roman citizen, but he chooses not to reveal that at this point in the story. So he's being very strategic for the gospel. It's not about his self and his body. That's a card that he's going to choose to play when he feels like the Holy Spirit makes it the right one to play. So because of it, they're severely flogged. The process would have been different. When you're not a Roman citizen, there's not even a, a total hit count on their floggings. So... He keeps it to himself, and they're severely flogged. So then after the flogging, they're immensely beaten. They're in the stocks. Okay, um, stocks, I think in the past, Pastor Hank has had a picture up. Um, you may have seen before, it's the pieces of wood that have the whole inserts for sometimes legs, arms, and heads. These are just their feet. So it is another form of torture. Their legs are probably so far apart that it's excruciating pain. They're most likely laying on their backs because of the discomfort of the stocks. So here they are, immensely beaten, totally uncomfortable, on their backs, and they are praying and singing hymns to God. 
Then suddenly there's a violent earthquake. It shakes the foundations of the prison. All the doors comes open and everyone's chains come loose. So if I were here in this setting, I would muster all of my strength. I'd be like, yes, God's doing what he did for Peter, right? We get to leave now. But we see here, again, Paul is so in tune with the Holy Spirit. That's not his response. So the jailer wakes up, draws his sword. He's about to take his life because he knows his punishment would be that of the worst escaped prisoner's punishment. So he knows that his life is about to be taken, it, it, you know, if found out. But Paul shouts out, don't harm yourself. We are all here. And the very next line, the jailer calls for lights. So this is a key detail here. Paul was in the innermost cell. He called for lights. Paul probably couldn't even see the jailer. Yet, Paul's ear is so in tune to the Holy Spirit's guidance. He knows what's going on in the jailer's head. He knows that that jailer has drawn the sword. And in his moment where he could be freeing, he is absolutely aware of, of this other soul. And he cry, calls out to him, don't harm yourself. So the jailer comes back and trembling says, sirs, how must I be saved? They impart the truth. The jailer and his family are saved. So here is another significant, again, side point that we're not really going to emphasize today. But the jailer then takes them. He washes their wounds. He and his family are, are baptized. And he takes them to their house and he sets a meal before them. He was filled with joy. He and his whole household had come to believe. So this here is a, a beautiful picture of repentance. You could say the jailer wasn't even the one at fault in inflicting the unjust treatment for Paul and Silas, yet he took ownership for the system that wronged Paul and Silas. True repentance is a loving desire to make restitution and reparation wherever we have hurt others. We should not only wash one another's feet, but we should also cleanse the wounds we have given to others. So he cleans their wounds, he prepares a meal for them, then the magistrates send the order to release the prisoners. <clears throat> so the jailer passes on the, the good news. You can leave. Go ahead, Paul. Go in, go in peace. But Paul's response was very much, oh, no, we will not. We will not go in the still and the quiet of the night. So here, again, we see Paul in tune with the Spirit, and he is showing discernment that that Roman citizenship card is now important for the work of the gospel, for the protection of the early church. Had Paul gone with the leave early in the night, it would have left the new church under a cloud of suspicion. Paul would have asked, people would have asked, who were those men? Were they guilty of some crime? Why did they leave so quickly? What do their followers believe? Paul and his associates wanted to leave behind a strong witness of their own integrity as well as the good testimony, a good testimony for the infant church in Philippi. Paul's challenge to the officials was not a personal revenge, but a desire to give protection and respect for the church. So again, we see throughout this account that an immense beating and torture, but Paul being very strategic in every step. He's focused on the guidance of the Holy Spirit for the intentional spreading of the truth. So what I want to focus on today is what Paul and Silas's response was to that really difficult situation. How could they stay so focused on the Spirit in such a trial? So, you know, I think about where they are when they were in the prison cells, and I think about the different responses any of us could have. I could see myself in a heap just kind of nursing my wounds, like, 
let, let me just survive this moment, just being in a state of survival. That could be one response. Another response you could have in that setting, and maybe we have in our settings we find ourselves, is to question God. God, why? Why, is, why am I in this mess? Why is this person responding to me in this way? Why, why are you not moving here when I'm pressing in? Sometimes that's our response. Paul also could have been really upset about the unjustness of the system. You know, he was a Roman Roman citizen. The whole process was wrong. He could have been very adamant against the jailer um, who was holding him captive there. It is a good thing that Paul and his friends did not count on lack of adversity as a sign of the guidance of the Holy Spirit. There was no, what did I do to deserve this? The Holy Spirit must have departed or this wouldn't have happened. Is that our response sometimes to trials, to push back? Pastor Hank last week talked about, as American Christians, our lack of persecution, which is so true. Yet we, we do have trials and tribulations. And, and what is our response? You know, sometimes are we disgruntled about how unjust this is to us? Is that our response? Paul had every right to be frustrated at the system but that was not his response. They went into the prison anticipating what this set of circumstances would bring in the Holy Spirit's strategy. So a question is, how did they stay so in tuned? The reason is praise. Their response to their circumstances was to pray and sing hymns. They were praising the Lord that night in the innermost cell. And because their response was praise, it changed everything. It had a total change on the outcome in so many ways. First off, because of their prayers and praise, God sent the earthquake. He released his power. And even bigger still, when the chains fell off, the doors were open. It was not about them. Their vision was beyond themselves. We too are called to praise through all circumstances, through the highs and through the lows. And now God does not need us to praise him. Through our prayers, God may choose to respond, but he doesn't need us to be singing praises to him. But praise does so much for us. I want to talk about three things today that praise does for us. And a first thing that praise does is it reminds us of the goodness of our God, that he is worthy of all of our praise. When we take time to praise him, we're reminded of the glory of our good, good God. I'm going to read a portion of Psalm 148. If you um, try, to, try to put yourself in the words and you know, feel them as your prayer to the Lord, join me here as I read Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. Are you reminded of God's splendor? Of his might, of his power, of his earthly presence. Our praise reminds us of the array of wonderful attributes of our God. Many of us know Jesus said as the greatest command, Matthew 22:37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. A question for us today, if we don't find ourselves praising God 
throughout our days. Do we really love him with all our heart, soul, and mind? If we're not consistently seeing God as good, as all-powerful, as loving, do we actually believe he is those things? Are we even aware of God's goodness throughout our full days? When we praise, we are kept in God's presence. Jesus also said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If God is our treasure, should not much more of our mental space be spent praising him? What are the things that take our, our mental space when you get those spaces? Is it your to-do list, your tasks, you've got a full day? Is it finances, different worries, family issues, health issue, health of yourself, health of an, a dear one to you, a job issue? Maybe it's goals, maybe it's vacation. What takes up those extra mental spaces that we have? Matthew 12, 34b says, For the mouth speaks of what the heart is full of. Jesus teaches us through scripture that we cannot separate what we say and do from what we think and believe. And it's a beautiful thing that praise and belief build on one another. The more we are praising God, the more we believe in his goodness. Therefore, we praise him all the more. Um, and it's a beautiful cycle to find yourself in. When we're praising God, we enter more into his presence and it brings us incredible peace and joy. As I've been able to prepare this message, I have been reminded to praise God more. And can I tell you, in just that, that little space of time, praising God more, I have evidently felt more peace and joy. Doesn't that sound good? More peace and joy. If we really love God with all our heart, will it not overflow to our lips? We won't be able to hold back our praise. Our God is so good, may we be in constant praise to him, reminding us of his goodness inviting his presence, and getting to walk in the peace, joy, and power, and on and on that are only found in our good God. A second thing that praise does for us is it reminds us who we are in Christ, and that's twofold. First off, when you find yourself praising God and in his presence, you're reminded that you're a sinner. We are imperfect. We haven't made it yet. We are in need of our redemption. Many of us have taken the steps, and we've been washed by the blood, but our salvation is something we continue to work out. We need a reminder that we're entirely dependent on the work at the cross. We need that thought to interrupt our sometimes very, very self-sufficient, busy, full days. We are all so busy. It brings us down also from any holier-than-thou places we might find ourselves. Do we sometimes look down on someone else of another faith practice, maybe another demographic background than our own? A coworker or a classmaker who just doesn't get it, you know, they got something going on, we're, we're looking down on them. Maybe it's a family member that we don't have any grace left for. Do we find ourselves in those places? We're humble before the Lord when we're, and we're brought closer to God's heart. A second piece of being reminded of who we are in Christ as we are reminded of our victory in Christ. When we reflect on the account today, Paul and Silas were not the prisoners. Nothing in this world can imprison us. In the prison that day, no, it was not Paul and Silas who were imprisoned. It was the jailer. The Philippian, Philippian jailer, he came trembling, and he said, what must I do to be saved? That's what our translation reads. 
in their culture, the Roman culture was a very pagan culture. There were all kinds of different belief systems. None of them were a, a very evidently clear, like a heaven and a hell or a saved and unsaved. It was a jumbled mess of beliefs. And that jailer in that night, seeing Paul and Silas, seeing their reaction, he saw peace, he saw joy, he saw victory, and he knew my life is a mess. How do I get out of this? I want what you have. Please help me. The saving of the jailer brought him clarity to his situation. His life was the mess. When we are out of the habit of praising God, our vision becomes blurred by this world. Our stresses of this world are real. Our anxieties are real. Our frustrations, they are, are all real. But when we go through our days on our own accord, not plugging into the Father, we will be worn down. Getting worn down can look like a lot of things. It can look like get, being disgruntled with life and those around us. We can become apathetic. We can become angry. We can become depressed. We can land in a place of trying to find worldly things that fill that God-shaped hole in our efforts to find peace and joy. Now, I'm not saying those things I listed, you can't land that when you're praising. We can, but praise helps us to not land in those places, and it can help us get out of those places, too. So a question for us today is, there, is there something in this world that, that has a hold on you that's determining your countenance, that's determining how you are doing overall outside of our God? Maybe there's a situation at work, something going on with your health or someone close to you's different relational issues. Are those issues in your life determining whether you're living in peace and joy and victory? And another question, do our reactions to life situations point others to Christ? When we're praising God consistently, our reactions may do a little more pointing to the victory that we live in. It is only God who has authority in our lives. Psalm 56, 4 says, In God, whose word I praise, in God, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? When we are praising God, it reminds us of our eternal position. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God, who has a sovereign hand over all the happenings of this world. It may look like someone has victory over us. It may look like a people group has a victory over another people group. We can think about some different happenings in our world today. But we can praise God that he is at work and that his ultimate victory will be worked out through Earth's current circumstances and all of our personal circumstances. I encourage you to try it. Spend some time in praise. See if you don't become enveloped in God's love, reminded of our unworthiness, but also enveloped by the fullness of God who is for us and through us. A third thing that God does for us is it plug, when we praise God, it plugs us into God's heart and in the mind of God. It helps us to rise above our needs, our limited vision, and it allows us to see with a kingdom perspective. As we increase our praise, our fellowship with the Lord grows deeper. We are welcoming the Lord's presence. We're welcoming the, we, we are welcoming the Holy Spirit he then gives us clarity as to his heart and he directs our steps so that we can be 
playing the role that we're called to, to join in the bringing of his kingdom purposes. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The message's translation of this says, You are blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart, put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. Back to our account in Acts, commentators from Enduring God's World said it would have been easy for Paul and Silas to escape, thinking God provided another miraculous jailbreak. But to them, the lives of others were more important than their own personal freedom and comfort. And they were so plugged into God's heart through their prayers and praises that they saw this opportunity. In not escaping, they showed tremendous discernment. The circumstances said escape, but love said stay for the sake of this one soul. They were not guided merely by circumstances, but by what love compelled. And I would even add to that, you know, we emphasize that they were all here in the prison when the jailer was about to take his own life. They were all here. So think about those other prisoners. Imagine what a lot of prisoners could look like. They were there when Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. And how, here somehow, when all the chains fell off, they didn't leave. You think there, there was some more work done there that Luke, our author, didn't even choose to include here? More than just the jailer was impacted that day. What a powerful impact their response to their trial had. Because they focused on the Lord and they were praising his name, Paul was able to see clearly the kingdom opportunities around him. He wasn't disgruntled. He wasn't totally focused on his difficulty, his hardship. He wasn't in a place of God has turned his back on us. Because of that, he had clarity of thought to abide with the Lord through his prayer and praise, and he was still totally available to follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Yes, praising God through trials and tribulations, in that we are able to embrace them and endeavor them full on. A line that I drop to my youth often is, God didn't swoop down from heaven and take us up the moment we were saved for a reason. And that reason is not for us to stay here and live, to so live a soft and cushy life. If that's what we were left here for, he'd have, he'd have taken us with him up to heaven. But he leaves us here to grow and to join in his kingdom purposes. And he, God left us here knowing that trials and triumphs would come and knowing that we're to praise, when we praise him through them and abide with him, he can use those trials as triumphs for his kingdom work. None of which come easily, none of which come through soft, comfortable, and easy. Our callings, each of us here have different callings, different gifts, different abilities. And it is sometimes we get to serve the Lord through hardships, and it's sometimes in those hardships um, that God's work is um, done and he is glorified. So we praise God today that he's using us, that he, we get to be a part of his kingdom work. Praise God that he reveals more of his heart to us. When our lives are filled with praise, the little bothers of our day don't have as much impact. Think about a little thing that might bother you, a line somebody drops, a reaction someone has to you, some bad news. Think about how it can totally swing your day sometimes. My neighbor parked in my spot again. If your day has been filled with seeing God's handiwork, his love for you, 
reminded of who you are in Christ, that little mishap doesn't throw us for near as much of a loop. I have a little story to tell you. about. So my husband and I, Stephen, we were house parents at Milton Hershey School. If you're unfamiliar with that, it's a residential school in Hershey. The setting about, of this story is about seven or eight years ago. Um, as a house parent, I, I believe with all my heart that at least 75% of the house parents are there with great hearts, great intentions, to pour into the students there, to support them, um, to care for them as they grow. And I do think that Stephen and I were there. We followed God's call, you know, and God was working through us. But so one story I want to tell you comes, um, a student of mine found her way intentionally to my supervisor's office. And this student has a litany of disciplinary infractions. She'd been at the school since elementary. So elementary school, lots of disciplinary issues, middle school and into high school. Yet my supervisor gave her her ear for over an hour as the student fabricated lots of accusations against me. And then from there, my supervisor didn't come and say, hey, Bree, like, ah, it sounds like the student's struggling. You know, what's going on here? She took everything as truth and she came at me with those fabricated accusations. And so I was so, so upset, devastated. You know, we're pouring our heart and souls out here. Uh, you know, I remember on my knees in my bedroom crying out to God, why, God, why, why is this happening? And I, I called my mom. My mom is my hero. And I, I poured out my heart to my mom and she listened um, empathetically and lovingly. She listened, she let me put it all out there. And when she knew I was done, she said, Bree, are you singing your praises to God? That's what she said. And subconsciously, I was in two different places. First off, I was like, Mom, that's totally left field. Like, that is not what I thought she would say. But at the same time, just her asking that question, I had such an emotional relief. She is so right. My vision was so limited. It was all about me and my little situation. All these things I had my hands on. And from there, as I turned my heart to praise, that situation changed. You know, externally, things probably happened slowly. But because I turned my heart to praise, God changed it all for me. You know, and, and maybe, you know, maybe God was even glorified in, in my change of heart. Um, so I do think that Paul and Silas's initial response, that they responded with praise, not in that place of frustration. And I, I think it's astounding that that's how they responded. So a question for us today is, is that our natural response when we find ourselves in trials and tribulations? Is our natural response praise? And if it's not, how can we let it become our natural response? And I think Paul and Silas and the early church, they were in the practice in the habit of the spiritual practices, and praise was one of them. They were in the habit of it, and because of it, it became so. It became natural to them. So we want to be in the practice of praise, so that it is that natural outflowing when we have our trials and tribulations, because they will come. So how can we be in the practice of praise? First off, we cannot say, "I will praise God when I feel like it." I will praise God when the situation seems just right. That's when I'll praise him. 
I'll praise him when I've really seen an evidence of his goodness, a really strong, miraculous turn of events. I'll praise God then. Paul and Silas did not praise God just when they felt like it. Now, I do think that they were so in the practice of praise. They very much had that praise builds on belief thing going for them, and they, they knew the benefits. So it was, it was a natural flow for them. Because of it, their belief grew, and then their praise overflowed. So we want to be in that practice so we can be and find ourselves in that, that beautiful rhythm of praise building belief that pours out more and more praise. So some practical ways to do it. Um, I encourage if you, if you feel like you're not praising God enough in your spaces, you can, you can have daily reminders. Build it into your schedule. Maybe it's the first thing you do in your day. Maybe you can think of other moments in your day that you want to build praise in. When I was in high school, I wanted to pray more consistently through my day, so that's when we had watches, and I set the hourly chime, I turned it on, and when the chime went off, I stopped and I prayed. Um, maybe you've got some reminders or alarms on your phone that you wanna put off to remind yourself to praise. Um, our days are, are very full, so to have those literal reminders can be helpful. I actually have on the back information table, so let's say you're like, you know, yeah, this sounds great, but I don't even know how to start. I don't know what words to say. Um, there are lots of great examples in the Psalms. So in the back is this purple handout if you want to take it. I recommend numerous Psalms as a starting point, and really we can use that to prime our pump for praise. And on, on that guide, I have suggestions for use too. Um, when we read through Psalms, we can make them our own, our own praises to the Lord. And the more we're in that practice, the more it's just going to naturally flow. So I encourage you to find ways to incorporate it in your day. Um, parents, we should also be teaching our children to praise. Matthew 21, 16, they're talking to Jesus. They say, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never heard? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And Jesus was referencing there Psalm 8, 2. Focus on the family says in Hebrew there are seven words that are almost always translated into the English language as praise. They all mean a combination of different ways to celebrate. We can sing, shout, clap, spin, jump, dance, raise hands, kneel, play stringed instruments. There are many ways to give God praise, and he is pleased with all of them. Our lives are so full, they're so busy, and our mind space can become so cluttered. We've got to fight against that clutter. We've got to fight against our grind culture that says, do, 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 look, look, look. Um, we need to create spaces of mental clarity, spaces of rest. What are you now filling your gaps with? Think now, when you've got spaces in your day, what do you put in that? Is it social media? Is it worry? Is it news? Maybe sports news, maybe stock market reports, maybe binge watching some sort of a screen time. We have to say no to the, to the clutter and we need to intentionally fill spaces with praise. When our lives are filled with clutter, we don't have space to be praising God. Another way to help praise flow throughout your life is to be very intentional about practicing Sabbath. When we are intentional about one day, 
more space. There's a lot of things we can do with our Sabbath, but praising God is one of them. When we have a day that has rest, reflection, and praise, that will naturally flow into the rest of our days, the rest of our lives. When we praise, our posture completely changes. Let us see what the Holy Spirit can do with us having humble, receptive, and ready minds that are intent on praise. Have you experienced enough of life on your own that you're ready to fully submit to the Lordship of the Father and give him all the parts of your day? Are you ready to fill your life with praise to our Father? When that next hardship comes our way, big or small, let us be praising his holy name because, yes, his work is done, sometimes through hardships. And let all of our, may we fill all of our days with praise to our good, good Father and see what the Holy Spirit has in store for us. At this time, we are going to be joining together in communion. If you did not get elements on your way in, they're found on both doors there, so I encourage you to grab the elements if you haven't already. And Pastor Hank and I will lead you in communion. If you are a follower of Jesus, we invite you to partake of the bread and the cup. The table of the Lord is for all who believe today. You do not have to be a member of our church. It's for all who have received Christ Jesus as Lord. We now invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify, not that you are perfect, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come, not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in your frailty, you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. Now that the supper of the Lord is spread before you, lift up your minds and hearts above all selfish fears and cares. Let this bread and this cup be to you the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your body broken for us. We thank you for what you have done for us and what we are called to walk into. We ask that you bless us with the strength and clarity of mind to go forward in all you've called us to. Bless us to have hearts of praise. May we pursue you in praise and diligence. In Jesus' name, amen. My brothers and sisters, this bread which we break is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Take and eat this bread, remembering he was born to be our Savior. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Feed on him in your heart and be thankful. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, 
which in the Jewish Passover feast is called the cup of blessing. And he told his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, we praise you for sending your son. We praise you for sending your spirit. We praise you for the chance to dine at this table. We praise you for salvation. We praise you for Jesus' blood. Jesus, your sacrifice and your blood poured on Calvary's tree is the blood that make us, who are outsiders now family with you, who admits us together as one. Lord, we thank you for this feast. We thank you for the chance to remember what you've done for us. And Lord, we praise you for the day that we will dine with you in reality, in person, and forever. But now, Lord, we thank you for this chance to remember your good, good love, to remember your freedom, our freely, willingly, lovingly dying on Calvary's tree for our sins. Lord, we thank you for this cup and a reminder that we have been washed, we have been cleansed, we have been redeemed. We are now reconciled to you. We thank you for your love. In your holy and precious name, amen. And I'd like to join you on the responsive reading as well. My sisters and brothers, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Take this cup, remembering that he said, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it together and be thankful. Amen. Um, usually we have the deacons come around and collect, but we actually have stations um, settled. So on your way out, maybe you can drop it in one of those or the trash can. Uh, but at this time, we're going to have the worship team come back up and we will have our closing song. Also, as pastors will be lined up here in the front, I'd like to invite you if there's something that Pastor Bree preached on and touched your spirit that you want to respond to, we'd love to pray for you about that. Or if you have anything else going on in life, we'd love to pray for you as well. So please stand and sing together uh, as we close our service with a song.
what a delight to read through the Psalms and wonder which ones were sung that night in the prison. Wren Collective has a song I choose to worship, and here's one stanza. I will praise you through the fire, through the storm and through the flood. There is nothing that could ever steal my song. In the valley you are worthy, you are good. When life is not, you will always and forever be my song. Let us pray. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. May our belief grow as we praise. Increase our belief in your goodness. Give us heart filled with praise. May we choose to praise and serve you. Father, may we be so in love with you that we cannot but praise your name throughout each of our days, throughout each of our circumstances. Father, we thank you that we, as we abide in you, we are reminded of who we are in Christ. We are reminded of our victory in you and that no earthly situation can hold us captive. May we be so in tune with you, Holy Spirit, that we will be aware of your promptings, your intentions, and that we may have the courage that comes through you to live out your love, to live out your eternal purposes in all the situations we find ourselves. We trust you, Lord. You are worthy of all of our praise. Amen. May we all go out and live lives of praise. And I also want to encourage you to join our, our ministry fair. It's out around the corner there. If you exit that way and go that way, we have a ministry fair for you today. <laughs>